You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled, Yes or No? Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. This time I want to share with you on a subject that is in some ways somewhat controversial. But that's a good thing because when there are different points of view, it drives one to study the Bible in greater depth to see what is correct and what is error. The principle of studying in depth is overlooked by many who normally go along with what they hear and never take the trouble to advance in their Christian development. And it's my opinion that most Catholic and Protestant believers do not have a very clear understanding of the Word of God, the Bible, and most of them never search the Scriptures. Maybe they scratch the surface rather than search. With regard to searching, there are two outcomes. In John 5:39 and 40, Jesus was speaking to some Jewish leaders and berated them for their willing blindness. He said, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. What Jesus was saying is, If you search and study the Scriptures, they will show you how you can get eternal life. However, the power to get eternal life is not in the Scriptures, it's from me, Jesus, to whom the Scriptures point. The Jewish leadership searched, but with closed minds, inasmuch as they were trying to find passages of Scripture to confirm their preconceived idea that when the Messiah came, he would free Israel from Roman rule and Israel would again be an independent nation. That is what they believed would happen. But they were wrong. The Messiah came to set up a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. There was another group who searched the scriptures with an open mind. These were the Bereans who lived in Berea and heard the Apostle Paul preach about Christ. So what did the Bereans do? Well, Acts chapter 17 11 tells what happened. These Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. The Bereans searched, not to prove the Apostle Paul wrong, but to check to see if what he was speaking about was true. Central to today's talk is whether or not man can forgive someone else's sins. In the Roman Church, it is a common practice for a priest to forgive someone's sins. The individual who feels convicted of wrongdoing goes to the priest and enters the confessional, a very private, small room, 
where he or she can be heard through a screen. Next to the screen or curtain on the outside sits a priest. The confessor begins to describe what he or she has done wrong by beginning with a short statement that goes very much like this. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. The confessor then relates what he or she has done wrong. After this is over, the priest may outline what the confessor needs to do in order to absolve the sin. Absolution may require the penitent sinner to say a certain number of Hail Marys, to pray a certain number of prayers with the rosary, to attend the Mass a certain number of times, or even pay money into the church's coffers. In Lesson 17 about the Sacrament of Penance, from the Catholic News Agency, is this question. Question 737. Are the enemies of the Roman Church right when they say man cannot forgive sins? Well, here's the answer. The enemies of our religion are right when they say man cannot forgive sins, if they mean he cannot forgive them by his own power. But they are certainly wrong if they mean that he cannot forgive them even by the power of God. For man can do anything if God gives him the power. The priest does not forgive sins by his own power as man, but by the authority he receives as the minister of God. Well, the short answer to all that is that a priest may forgive someone their sins because, and this is what the church claims, they have been authorised by God to do so. And this is also part of Lutheran beliefs. The church minister during the Lutheran Holy Communion service will announce... This is what he says. Christ gave to his church the authority to forgive the sins of those who repent and to declare to those who do not repent that their sins are not forgiven. Therefore, upon your confession, I, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God to all of you And on behalf of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so, in both the Lutheran and Roman Catholic theology, there is a middleman in the business of forgiveness. That middleman is another human being. The issue here is whether forgiveness can be dispensed by man or is forgiveness the prerogative of God only. So let's to examine the relevant for Bible verses to find out what is true. Firstly, I shall read to you from the Gospel of John chapter 20 and verses 22 and 23. And this is what the Bible says there in the book of John. And when Jesus had said this, 
He breathed on the disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Now, in this case, the disciples were first given the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for remit is metriazo. Some later translations of the Bible use, instead of remit, the word forgive. The Greek for forgive is sincoro. I suspect that there is no exact English word to give the full and accurate meaning of the Greek used in John chapter 20, verse 23. But remit or forgive is about as good as the translation gets. Probably a more accurate translation would be to set free from. When Jesus gave this authorization to the disciples to forgive or not forgive sins, what did they do about it? Did they have carte blanche to forgive or not forgive? Could any of the disciples come across a group of people and pick out someone and announce to him or her, your sins are forgiven? And that was the end of the matter. If so, that would be similar to someone handing out to anyone ice creams on a hot day. There is no record whatsoever in the whole of the New Testament of any of the disciples handing out forgiveness. What they did, however, was to tell the people how to be forgiven by God. For example, the Apostle Peter at Pentecost was preaching to the assembled crowd. And I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, that's the people, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brothers, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. In this case, Peter showed the way to be forgiven, but did not personally forgive those repentant sinners. Now, it must be recognised that forgiveness is both a human and divine granting of grace. For example, if I offended someone, I would be in error and would remain in error unless that person was gracious enough to forgive me for what I had done wrong. By saying sorry, we acknowledge that we have erred and desire to be reinstated to our former relationship with whom we have offended. The other party has the power to forgive our misdemeanour or the power not to forgive. 
But what happens when we've committed a serious crime or hurt against someone and they died before we asked for forgiveness? Could you ask a Christian friend to forgive you? And would that pronouncement of forgiveness be effective? What would be the case if you misused God's name and broke one of his commandments? Could your friend or priest or minister forgive you for that? 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is a very well-regarded verse, and it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then in verse 10, we read, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So who are the pronouns he, him and his in these two verses referring to? Go back to verse 7 and you will see that the he, him and his is referring to God and principally to Jesus. So who does the forgiving? Well, it's God. As you can see, forgiveness has two aspects. Firstly, it refers to person-to-person forgiveness, and secondly, to a person-to-God forgiveness. It is my contention that we have a duty to forgive each other, as is outlined in James chapter 5, verse 16, which says, Therefore, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I also believe that no one, as a servant of God or otherwise, has any authority or responsibility to forgive another person's sins unless it has personally something to do with them. I also believe that no one has any authority or responsibility to forgive the sins committed by someone who has died. A condition to having our sins forgiven is stated in the Lord's Prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12 Forgive us our trespasses, that's our sins, as we forgive the trespasses of others. That prayer is addressed to God the Father. The condition of being forgiven is that we are willing to forgive others who have wronged us. Well, we're going to come back to the book of John, chapter 20 and verse 23, and see what else we can find. But in the meantime, we'll have a little break.
John chapter 20 verse 23 says this, And Jesus was talking to his disciples, Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto you. So what does this mean? In any literal and authoritative sense, this power was never exercised by any of the apostles, and plainly was never understood by them, or as possessed by them, or conveyed to them. The power to intrude upon the relation between men and God cannot have been given by Christ to his ministers in any but a ministerial or declarative sense, as the authorised interpreters of his word. Now, what's that saying? that when a person had truly confessed their sins to God and they were not sure whether they were forgiven, the disciples could reassure them that they were forgiven. Jesus did not appoint the church as his moral watchdog, nor does he commission it to arbitrate people's assets and liabilities on a heavenly balance sheet. In John's Gospel, Jesus talks about sin as unbelief, the unwillingness or incapacity to grasp the truth of God manifested in him. To have sin abide, therefore, is to remain estranged from God. The consequence of such a condition is ongoing resistance. Sin, in John, is not about moral failings. Primarily, it is an inability or refusal to recognise God's revelation when confronted by it in Jesus. Consequently, the resurrected Christ tells his followers, that's all his followers, that through the Spirit who enables them to bear witness, they can set people free or release is a better translation than forgive, from that state of affairs. They can be part of seeing others come to believe in Jesus and what he discloses. 
Failure to bear witness, Jesus warns, will result in the opposite. A world full of people left unable to grasp the knowledge of God. And that is what it means to retain sins, retains the opposite of set free. Jesus is not, at least, not in this verse, granting the church a unique spiritual authority. He is simply reporting that a church that does not bear witness to Christ is a church that leaves itself unable to pay a role in delivering people from all that keeps them from experiencing the fullness that Jesus offers. Jesus did not give the apostles the inherent right to forgive sins, but the privilege to convey the message of forgiveness. Ministers of the gospel cannot forgive sins, but simply proclaim how sins are forgiven. One day, when Jesus was on earth, he was teaching the assembled people in someone's house. The house was crowded inside and out. Some friends brought a paralysed man and some kind of stretcher to be healed. In order to get the man to Jesus, they removed part of the roof and lowered the stretcher with the man on it down. Recognising the faith of these friends, Jesus spoke to the man saying, Son, your sins are forgiven you. You can read that in Mark 2 verse 5. Present in the crowd was a group of Jewish scribes who muttered, huh, Who can forgive sins but God only? Mark 2 7. Now, I know the scribes and Pharisees were devout students of the scriptures, although they got some things awfully wrong. But it seems they got this right. For example, they probably knew Isaiah 43:25 by heart, which says, I, that's God, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Jesus healed the man, and those scribes must have wondered if they were seeing God in the flesh. And indeed they were. The healing was proof enough of that. Christ forgave sins because he was God. There are two other texts in the Bible that are included by the Lutherans to justify the minister pronouncing forgiveness on the members of the congregation at their Holy Communion services. The texts are from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verse 19, and chapter 18, verse 18, and I'll read both. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the second one, I tell you the truth, that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It is interesting that in his statement to the disciples, Jesus used an impersonal term, term of whatever instead of whoever. Again, I believe that Jesus did not give an open checkbook to give forgiveness to whoever the disciples would choose, but instead they were given the commission to share 
teach and preach the way to eternal life. A key is not a door. A key is the means of opening the door. Friends, I feel it's a big mistake of the Roman Church to consider itself able to dispense forgiveness and eternal life to people. All the disciples were the means, that's the keys, of explaining how someone might be saved. But they were not the doors. Christ is the door. What is the situation regarding sincere people who've been to a confessional and the priest has pronounced that their sins are forgiven if they say a certain number of Hail Marys or pray the rosary or whatever? Are they truly forgiven in the sight of God? My friends, I believe the Jewish scribes were right where they announced that only God can forgive sins. That discounts any forgiveness uttered by any minister or preach. Priest, I mean. Simply put, the repentant sinner will only be forgiven when he or she approaches God and asks him directly for forgiveness. There is no middleman. What Jesus said in John 20 verse 23 was said to the disciples. Disciples are followers of Christ, and I'm a disciple, but I believe I nor any other person is not authorised by the Lord to dispense forgiveness. However, in line with the Gospel Commission given in Matthew 28:19, any disciple of Christ has the authority and responsibility to teach the way of forgiveness and salvation. The question then is yes or no. Can man forgive sins? No. Well, that's it for now. May God bless you as you contemplate what I've shared with you today.